This is The Crucible. The JRTC Experience. This is Joint Fires. In this series, we discuss fires, warfighting skills, and lessons learned in a decisive action training environment for large-scale combat operations at JRTC. Hi, I'm Colonel Matt Hardman, the Commander of Operations Group here at the Joint Readiness Training Center. And today, we got a special guest. So introduce yourself. Yes, sir. So I'm uh, Major Wesley Trevor Lafitte from Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, born and raised. Um, I commissioned in 2007 as a field artillery officer. And I'm here now as FOX 2-0, the Brigade Fire Support OCT. Um, Tell me where all you've been in the Army. Yes, sir. So I've been, my first duty station actually was here at Fort Polk back when it was 410 Mountain. Um, I was a platoon leader, a maneuver platoon leader actually in Baghdad. And then we came back and restarted artillery. And so I was a platoon leader, fire direction officer, and then battalion FSO for 230 infantry. Um, wild boar for life. Wild boar for life, sir. Okay. Then so we went to, uh, I went to career course um, where I met my wife, uh, who was also in the Army at the time as one of the battalion S1s there. Uh, we met at a gas station and hit it off from there. <laughs> <laughs> Great story. I'll tell you another time, sir. But um, yeah, yeah we've, we've been together since. We moved to Fort Carson after that, uh, deployed to uh, Kuwait with them. Um, and which brigade I, were you in there i was in first brigade actually back when they were an armor brigade so okay and then i switched over to third brigade stood up the charlie battery there and then stood up the Devardi uh, as part of fourth Devardi. and then from there went to west point to be attack um, got my degree my first master's degree while i was in command at carson in management and leadership from western university and my second master's degree in organizational psychology from columbia university then used that knowledge to be a TAC uh, for a company A1, and then 1st Regiment's uh, Regimental Executive Officer. Then I went to Hawaii, um, where I was the Brigade FSO for 3rd Brigade, 25th ID, and then a Battalion S3 for 37 FA Battalion, and then a Devardi S3, and then a Devardi XO for two long years on, <laughs> in the Brigade. <laughs> long, long years. Yes, sir. And then I ended up here, back here at uh, Fort Polk as an OC. It's my first year, sir. Okay, so you're in your first year here. Yes, sir. Okay. And um, so, you know, a very diverse career, uh, doing a lot of different things. So you've been light, you've been, uh, you've been heavy, yes, sir. Uh, you've been back to light, mm -hmm. kind of at the, really at the focal point of the transition back to Devardis, mm -hmm. right? And, and the opportunity to serve in two Devardis. Uh, TAC, uh, master's degree from the uh, prestigious uh, Columbia, University Ivy League school um, and uh, you know and then you know I know because I, I served as an instructor at West Point you know being a regimental exo is a big deal I mean, sure. getting picked for that job says a lot about you um, and then you hear the infamous uh, Fox 2-0 um, and you know that position is normally filled by somebody that that we think you know God willing is going to be a battalion commander one day um, so you know Probably, uh, even though you're from Louisiana, like many people, you were probably like, oh, I don't want to go to Fort Polk. No, sir. No, no. I was fighting. I've been fighting to get back here You've been my fighting to career. get here. Yes, sir. All right. So what appealed to you about coming here to be an OCT? Yes, sir. So first of all, for my family, uh, we wanted to get back home. 
Um, we wanted to slow the pace of our life down after 40 months of key developmental time as, a as an iron major. <laughs> so we wanted to slow our pace down a little bit, get a little more predictability, be close to family, uh, let the children grow up doing things that we grew up doing, uh, hunting, fishing, you know, going to um, concerts and rodeos and things of that nature. So we wanted to slow life down a little bit. Um, specifically why I wanted to come back here as an OC. So to me, the AIM marketplace is stressful. Um, it's just like, it's like dating, but like with people that... I don't know. I've been, <laughs> I've been married for 22 years with the same woman for 26. Yes, so sir. I, I don't remember any of that. I, I see it as like the speed dating where like you're for a month, like you're in this market and you're talking to people that you may or may not see ever again. And at the end of this month, you got to get married to one of these units. And so I feel like there's a lot of stress in it. Um, as I was going through the process, I really wanted to go joint, um, and I was talking to Branch about it, and, and you know, we were aligning you know, jobs up to where I could go do something like that. But in speaking to um, someone I consider to be one of my close mentors, uh, uh, my Devardi Sergeant Major actually at the time, he's like, sir, what are you doing? He's like, you've spent so many months like, grinding it out here you know, in these jobs. You need to take some time off. You need to kind of like take a knee. And, not that this job is necessarily a take any job. When we work, we work. Um, but it's absolutely, it allows predictability in my life. It allows me to gain the balance between my personal life and my work life, my professional life uh, back. And, and after we, we talked for a while, Colonel Saslav, who was the COG at the time, just happened to be in Hawaii doing, doing a JPMRC rotation. And um, so I picked up the phone. I called the uh, Fox Six, the last Fox Six, and said, "Hey, sir, I'm interested." Yeah, He's Colonel like, Bennett. He said, "Yep, we're interested in you." Like Colonel Saslov is there. Like, go sit down with him. And I went in. I'm all nervous. And I, I think I butchered his name the first time I said it. But he's like, "Hey, man, come on, sit down." And we sat outside. He asked me a few questions about like my experiences and and kind of how I felt about um, fires and supportive maneuver in general and. Very passionate, something else I'm very passionate about. And we talked for like 15 minutes. And at the end of it, he was like, hey, we like you. We'll be in touch. So I'm like, okay, roger that. And it's good to be liked. Absolutely, sir. And, and, and also was looking forward to learning, vi learning vicariously through other people, right? Like we get to see the good, the, the great, the not so great, the things that you're like, man, that's a crazy idea, but it actually worked. You know, like you get to see a lot of perspectives, personalities, leadership styles, and I think nothing prepares you more for a leadership role, you know, than watching other people go through it and learn things that you would be nervous to ask someone, uh, learn things that you wouldn't see because you don't necessarily get to see behind the curtain all the time. Um, I just think it's an awesome opportunity for people to get the answers to the test before they have to take the test. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, in my view, I mean, I did two years at NTC, I mean, I think some of it's, even if you don't get the answers to the test, at least you know what the questions are, <laughs> right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, that's how I felt going into brigade command after having been out of NTC. I didn't have all the answers by any means, but I think I had a pretty good idea what the questions were. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so how many Devardi commanders have you interacted with down here? Uh, just about every rotation I see a Devardi commander come through. Um, my interactions are usually brief, like, hello, sir, and, and that's, that's about it. But yeah. I get to see them speak to their formations and the things that are on their minds. Um, and, I, I, and, and I get to 
hear different perspectives on how to fight with fires. Yeah. You know, everybody comes with their own lens. Like doctrine says one thing, but obviously people have their own experiences. People have their own bosses who believe different things about how fires should be uh, fought in support of maneuvers. So it's just good to see those different perspectives and the, the pros and cons of each one. Yeah, and I, I think that you know that's one of the parts about this job is the, you know, for me, you know, getting to see uh, every single month different DCGO, mm -hmm. different CG, and it's just an education yes, sir. every single time mm -hmm. for exactly the reason that you described. Um, what, um, you know, what surprised you the most here? I mean, what, what have you learned the most about here tactically? Um, so I came from a perspective, like all my career, that fires is focused on deep shaping fires. And that is a lens, that is a way. And if you had asked me when I first got here, like how should the FA Battalion support the brigade? I'd be like, yep, beyond the CFL, shaping deep, you know, uh, shaping the COFOM so that, you know, the, when the enemy gets into the close fight, the battalions can take over. And I just worry about the deep fight, the battalions will worry about the close fight. And that's a way, and I think there is a piece of that with fires and supportive maneuver for the brigade, but I now lean closer towards close supporting fires and support of the brigade to where, yes, the brigade is shaping deep, but don't get hyper-focused on deep. Remember that there's a close fight, and the battalions also need artillery support. They need whatever other assets you have, EAB, uh, to help support their fight as well. And oh, by the way, don't forget the mortars. Right, like yes, those are that battalion commander's instruments, but I should also be tracking what they're doing, so that I can help supplement if necessary. Yeah, and I, I think the um, you know this has been a, a kind of a, a, a shifting sea in our army, and obviously FM three O that came out in the fall of twenty two, you know divisions of principal tactical formation, and brigades are are focused in the close fight mm -hmm. and how we mass and synchronize fires in front of maneuver battalions, you know, I think is the key. And I, you know, something that I know we've talked about is the difference between um, Paladin Fires Battalion mm -hmm. versus Light Infantry Battalion with 119ers and 777s. And the reality is in, in the Light Infantry community, like most of our fires are probably going to be in in the close fight. Yes, sir. It uh, doesn't mean we're not going to take our shot uh, when it avails itself. Um, what, um, you know, if you, if, as you've been here and learned, like how, how has it changed you as a leader? I learned to, I've always worked on this, sir, is like patience and perspective. And I think it's something that you get with maturity as you get older, like you, you know, we you, hope. You, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah, you would hope so, right? But, not jump to conclusions, not automatically assume someone's wrong when they, when they say they're going to do one, one thing or another, right? Take a step back and take it in, observe, and understand where they're coming from. And then if it doesn't work, step in and, and kind of like help them course correct or, you know, see the light of day so that they understand what they're doing may or may not be right. So I'd say this job has taught me a lot of patience because, again, I see a lot of different ways every rotation to do different things, like the same thing different ways, right? Some of them work. Some work, some don't. Some don't. Right? And I learned quickly to not just be like, unless it's something that's completely in left field, I learned quickly not to be like, hey, man, like that's not how I would do it. Because like maybe that's the way they do it because it works in the context of their unit. So yeah. let it play out and see. And then if it doesn't, then provide feedback. What, did the, what would be the biggest uh, observations that you've had uh, that you would give your 
your peers out there, you know, majors out there in the fight, getting ready to go into KD time, you know, that you've learned from here about um, about field artillery? Okay. About field artillery in general, um, or or just about being an iron major in general, honestly, sir, like. Don't get too in the weeds, right? Like you're not a doer anymore as a major, you're the systems manager and you're managing systems upon systems so your boss can do commander's activities, right? Um, a lot of times, and this is, again, this isn't field artillery specific, this is across the board specific, but I'll use the field artillery as an example. You know, you'll get a major on the brigade staff and they focus only on targeting and they get too involved in targeting and they forget like they have to connect the dots with intelligence. They have to connect the dots with the rest of the warfighting functions within that staff. Or they get wholly focused in co-ops or wholly focused in, in plans and what the other kind of falls off, off the board because they're not managing the transition between the two. Um, yeah, I mean, so field grade officers. Yes, sir. Positioned to be able to see the whole field. Yes, sir. Right. And, and the other piece, is don't forget, like, just because you're a staff officer, you're still a leader. You have people who look up to you. You have people who want to hear your voice on the radio every once in a while. And a phone call can be powerful. A phone call or a radio call can be powerful, where it's just getting on the, the hand mic or the phone and just saying, hey, here's what I know. Here's what's going on. What do you need from me? These are the things I need from you. You don't have to wait for an order to come out. Like, I don't need an order to tell me to pick up the phone and talk to somebody, right? Like, but people are hesitant to pick up the phone and just have a conversation about things. Yeah, and it's the craziest thing. You'll see two headquarters separated by 800 meters mm -hmm. and they won't communicate for two days. Yes, sir. And it's sometimes it's just as simple as driving down to a battalion or going from the battalion to the brigade mm -hmm. and closing that distance, literal and metaphorical, uh, to solve problems. Yes, sir. Um, and, and so yeah. along with that, sir, you know, as we talk about the communications piece, a job of field grade is managing timelines, right? And so what we, we see a lot of times is people want the 100% plan and they continue to plan over and over again. The plan changes over and over and over again. We have organizations that require a plan to come out early at 102, right? You got the recon kicking out. You got the field artillery unit that needs to parallel plan. Um, instead of people, and I'll use the field artillery again as an example, instead of the field artillery majors talking on the phone and saying, hey, these are the targets I think that we're going to have coming up. Hey, this is where I think you're going to occupy in PAAs and, and all that kind of stuff. We wait until the plan comes out late, and then we don't have time to keep up with the rest of the operations process, the preparation piece, and then the execution is filed up because we didn't plan or prepare to do what we needed to do. Yeah, and there's a, there's a real challenge, I think, at the field grade level, and this is something John Gardner and I have talked about, is, you know, the, the major cannot be... Uh, as you said, like down into the weeds uh, in current operations to the neglect of what's happening in future operations. But they have to drive that level of yes, detail. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part of like, okay, we need the detail. We just can no longer be the one that's getting us to the detail. Yes, sir. We've got to help people. You know, wh what practices have you seen that have helped people get to the requisite level of detail but cover that whole field? I think it's talent management, sir. Um, identifying upfront who needs to go where within your, your particular section. Um, if you've got someone who's very strong at writing plans and they really understand the theory behind whatever your warfighting function is, then that person probably is best suited in your plan cell. If you have, a, I don't know, an E5 who's really good at managing like what's going on, like 
okay, great, they're an E5, but if they have the respect and the voice on the brigade floor, like put them in there and let them do the job, right? And then like other people can learn from them and then potentially step up and get comfortable in their role. You don't have to, I know the MTO tells us like we have these hard code billets and this is your duties and responsibilities and all that kind of stuff, but depending on your talent that you have in your organization, like you might have someone filling in a little bit of a role and then continue to train the person that's supposed to be in that role so that they understand what they're doing. Yeah, and I think pairing people is really important. Yes, sir. Right? I mean, ultimately, you know, we put a couple people together that, that work well together, that play to each other's strengths and cover each other's weaknesses. Um, and sometimes we don't put that thought into how we man this, you know, particularly at the staff, how mm -hmm. we man a staff uh, to be balanced. Because uh, oftentimes an LTP or in a CPX, we can go really, really hard for 24 hours and we can sort of do it yes, all. Sir. And what have you seen with that here? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, the most eye-opening thing brigades see when they get here is like you talk to them at LTP and they got everybody 100% in on planning. Then they get here and they realize like, I got to run a day shift, a night shift on the co-ops floor. I got to do plans. And oh, by the way, I'm getting punched in the face by Geronimo, like help. And so like people don't do that talent management ahead of time right. and understand where they're going to put people. They end up burning out by like day three. Yeah. And we're in there coaching them like, hey, you got to go to sleep at some point. And, and, you know, kind of as you talked about, the, you know, the sergeant that we're leaving, then we end up leaving talent on the table. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got, we got, we have sergeants that can do a lot of this stuff. We have, I mean, this last rotation, FSO got injured. Yes, sir. First lieutenant Stepped fought up. as the brigade FSO for mm -hmm. entire rotation and did phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yes, sir. Right? Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, this, this balancing of talent and then, you know, developmentally, you know, what advice would you give folks, you know, boom, year out from JRTC rotation, mm -hmm. what would you encourage them to do from a leader development standpoint? Uh, if, you, if you think about the brigade uh, fires element. So I would say reach out to us early and often. Um, we're here, <laughs> we're, we're, most of us are here for two or three years. Like the, we might change positions, but the names are the same and um, establish a relationship with your OCs early and often. Um, ask them to do teams events with you, LPDs on different topics of what we're seeing. It could be trends, it could be best practices, it could be, hey, we're thinking about doing this, how have you seen this play out at JROTC? And we'll more than happily talk to people. Like, we don't have an adversarial relationship with the people that we OC, right? And I think that's a common misconception based upon a lot of people's past experiences with OCs back when we were observer controllers. Like, we're OCTs now, so like, we want to see people succeed. Um, it's, it's in, our best interest because we feel good when we see our yeah. teammates. Well, ultimately, do well. we're going to these units, <laughs> right? Officially, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So we don't want anybody to come through here and do bad. We want no. people to learn. We want people to grow. So just reach out and ask for help early and often. So uh, this, you know, coaching component. You know, what have you learned about coaching, and how do you how do you try to help coach units uh, reach peak performance? Yes, sir. So. Just like you plant fires too, on and beyond the objective, like I believe the coaching relationship is when you, before you get here, during your rotation and after rotation, that relationship doesn't end. Like you have this open door policy where anybody can ask us anything at any time. We, we like to start early on my team. Um, we start typically at LTP where we go in, um, meet the team, introduce ourselves, answer any questions they might have right there on the spot. We give them a link to our Teams page where we bring them in and 
There's a general portion where they can ask open questions in open form. Um, we have resources on there, SOPs, best practices, trends, analysis, things of that nature on that general page. And then each unit gets their own private page where they can ask specific questions, post documents without anybody else seeing it or without feeling like embarrassed to ask the question, right? Um, once they get here, we, we, we link up with them and we give our team intro. Um, everybody on my team is kind of, at this point, knows how to give the intro. Uh, but it's basically who we are, uh, what we're about. Hey, we're your teammates. It's we, it's us, we're on your team. We don't speak to them in, in terms of they or, well, you or your, like, no, we all take ownership for the team. Um, to kind of build that rapport, we, we open ourselves up and we say, hey, I'm learning just like you, right? Like, I don't have all the answers. I don't play stump the chump. Like, if, if I know something, I'm not gonna hide it and make you, you know, embarrassing save, save it for the AAR. exactly right, <laughs> right? Be because like the best way to learn is right there in the moment yeah. um and then we explain to them like i'm an oct this is but i believe it's octtt observe coach train teach tell right so initially i observe like oh man that stove's I thought hot the third t was for therapy <laughs> no sir i mean sometimes we sometimes, can be right? right take them behind the truck and drink coffee hey man right. like let's take a knee right it's hard yes sir but i mean i believe oct is octtt right we observe man that stove is hot coach hey i wouldn't touch that stove train this is how you don't touch the stove let's turn the stove off tell don't touch the stove and then and then um I'm sorry, teach, like, if you touch the stove, this will happen. And then tell, don't touch the stove. I'm going to tie your hand behind your back so you don't touch the stove, right? So there's different levels of it. And then, like, our final, our final like, lens of how we look at things in our particular section is through the Grippy model, which is a model by Robert Marshak, and it's about how you analyze uh, organizations in an overt way. So I like to take things that I learned as a tech and in my previous degrees because I feel like the Army wants me to do things like yeah. that, right? And our job is essentially like being an organizational consultant. Like we're telling people how to achieve efficiency and effectiveness in the organization, right? And so I use this model because- We're free. We are free. We are. <laughs> we are. Well, to the unit. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. We could be making six figures, right? Right. That's what they should be paying us. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but I, I, I like to take this model because it's something that I can teach my OCs so that like when we're collecting data, it's around this. And then when we have conversations with the unit, it's around this model. And I explain to them, hey, there's this model, the grippy model. And it's hierarchical. So there's goals, there's roles, there's so process. You're, I'm sorry, you're saying this, and I'm thinking of Frank Grippy. Sorry, no, sir. Grippy, no, sir. It's not. No, sir. GRPI. Okay. So there's goals, there's roles, there's processes, and interpersonal relationships. You can't have anything below the top until you have the top complete. So goals is, hey, do does the organization understand what the commander wants, his commander's intent, the organization's mission, vision, et cetera, right? Roles are... Does everybody understand their duties and responsibilities and how they play into creating the commander's end state? Processes. Let's stop there for a minute. Yes, sir. Like, I think that's a problem in our Army. Yes, sir. Right? And, you know, I went to the extreme as a brigade commander. I made people, like, type up their roles and responsibilities, mm -hmm. and then we laminated them and just taped them to the desk where they sat. Mm -hmm. uh, to include me. I mean, I, I actually, I wrote out, like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do as a commander. Yes, sir. I mean, you're sleep deprived. <laughs> you know, we all need to phone a friend occasionally. Yes, sir. Um, it, you know, and you've watched a lot. Of, I mean, how, you got seven, eight rotations eight, now? Eight, sir. 
you know, you see people that are like working their absolute hardest, mm -hmm. want nothing more to accomplish uh, great things for America and for their soldiers. Um, but oftentimes they don't really understand what their role is. Mm -hmm. And um, and it seems simple, um, but if it was simple, everybody could sort of knew it. Yes, like, oftentimes it's laid out in doctrine for us. Mm -hmm. We just gotta open it up and pull it out. But when we understand our role and, and how we impact up one and two levels mm -hmm. and how we impact down one and two levels, it's sort of eye-opening, mm -hmm. right? Because yes, it's sir. like, okay, there's somebody two echelons below me at the brigade level, at the company battery troop level, that's depending on my analysis at the brigade level, and I'm supposed to tell them to do some stuff mm -hmm. because they actually don't have a staff to do it. I'm that, yes, sir. I'm yeah. that element. Yes, sir. What, what else have you seen with responsibilities, roles and responsibilities? So very rarely do we see a unit come through with a full complement of their personnel and their MTO, right? Like people get sick, injured, they don't have them in the first place, right. whatever the case may be, right? So you'll have people that have to dual hat and do multiple things, kind of like the last rotation, like we said, like you got people who have to do the one-up drill. Um, yep. And a lot of times, case, the two-up, two yes, sir. <laughs> and so a lot of times, like, like you said, like people don't understand what their base roles and responsibilities are, and they don't understand what other people are supposed to be doing. And so when they have to like flex and do some of someone else's job, other things fall off the plate because they don't know everything that they're supposed to be doing, right? Sometimes like it needs to be codified in SOP, but people don't read their own SOP sometimes, right? right? And so you just get a lot of role confusion. And that's where I spend a lot of my time in coaching is, hey, we have role confusion here, or like we don't have a full understanding of our roles and responsibilities. Like, what is not getting done or who is working too hard or who is keeping all the information and not sharing it with anybody you know so i'm on this kind of kip because i keep hearing it is like well we got to empower people mm -hmm. it's like mm, I, I don't think that's the problem i think the problem is like people don't know what they're responsible for mm -hmm. and then we don't hold them and account accountable yes sir and so hey you're responsible for these 10 things when mm -hmm. you're not doing these 10 things i'm going to let you know mm -hmm. or when you are doing these 10 things i'm going to pat you on the head yes sir um, it's not that people won't act, it's that they don't know that they're supposed to act. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, you know, the amount of time that we would save if we just, like, hey, let's take 30 minutes and everybody sit quietly and read our roles and responsibilities and let's talk about what, how those roles and responsibilities interact laterally up and down yes, sir. with one another. Mm -hmm. All right? What else? So, back to the grippy model, yeah. sir, like, then we, like, once we have roles and responsibilities fully understood, then we move into processes. So like I said, I spent a lot of time in discussion with motion units on roles and responsibilities and ensuring that the right people, the right talent is aligned to the right role, right? And like we said, like sometimes, yeah, doctrine will lay out everything for you. Sometimes there's some stuff not captured in doctrine that has to be um, found out during the rotation. Or sometimes you have things that aren't happening because someone doesn't know um, that it's not supposed to happen or they're not good at it so you have to help people kind of flex the cover down but once we get into that once we get through that we get down the processes and we're able to start looking at sops or you know battle drills how people are acting within the system is there a system is someone managing the system uh, things of that nature and then finally we can get into interpersonal relationships and it's not only does does Jim get along with Johnny uh, within the section but it's also how the section interacts with everybody else within the brigade up, down, and laterally. Yeah. Um, you and know, I, the process, um, this is a terrible place to build your SOP. Yes, sir. It's a terrible place. Um, 
you could reach out to Fox team. Mm -hmm. You could get the SOP a year before you come here. You could go through and read it over a couple months with the team. Mm -hmm. You could make the modifications that are appropriate to your unit. And you could practice it like a half dozen times before you show up here. Yes, sir. And we may make a couple, you know, we tweaks. may make a couple tweaks, but this is not the place to, to figure out like your golf swing. Like no, you sir. want to practice your golf swing before you show up to the Masters. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. Um, okay. And so uh, what have you learned applying that technique here, uh, you know, with, with, with RTU? I found it an easy way to, to kind of arrange how we speak to RTU and, and kind of how we categorize our feedback and like what my team focuses on. So a, a, a dysfunction in one, excuse me, a symptom in one is usually a dysfunction in the higher one. Right. So it makes it easy for my team to go like, oh, we're seeing dysfunction in this, let's go talk about these things, right? Yep. And then when I explain that model to the RTU, like they know where I'm coming from. I'm not yep. just kind of like pulling things Winging out of the, it. exactly, yep. exactly. So it, it kind of helps them have a conversation um, about what they want to talk about. It, it, it gives them an idea of how to receive the feedback, but also how to ask for the feedback as well. Okay. Um, all right. So, you know, folks out there in the AIM cycle, g give me the reasons that they should, should come be an OCT at the Joint Readiness Training Center. Yes, sir. You, you'll, never, you'll never be a better tactician than after you leave this place because you see everyone do a myriad of different things and you learn what right or wrong I wouldn't say right or wrong because I don't want to be dualistic, but you learn a way. The gradations of the Yelp review. Yes, sir. Four stars, five <laughs> stars, one star. Yes, sir. You learn yeah. the one star way and the four star way. So, yeah. you, you know, if, if you want to be a better tactician and you kind of want to, you want to affect change in people's life on a daily basis. This is one job where, like, I feel like I come to work every day and I'm happy to be at work. I'm always happy to be at work in the Army, but I feel fulfillment every day I come to work and I'm with RTU because... I have a relationship with them. It becomes a personal relationship because we spend so much time with them. They become our friends, for, for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah, like right? I felt like uh, I was leaving summer camp yes, sir. Uh, when Colonel Taylor and I said goodbye yesterday. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Like you do. You build these relationships, this closeness. Yes, sir. Um, you know, the tactical development, you know, I think there's this mythology out there that, like, tactics are easy, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's, like, why some people, like, you know, when they're looking at the AIM brochure, they gloss over coming to a CTC. Um, I would submit that's not true. It's hard. It's super hard, right? It's not necessarily always complicated, but it's hard because it takes a ton of practice mm -hmm. to be really good at it. And as you said up front in this, there's a vicarious uh, learning that occurs here, mm -hmm. uh, not just from the RTU, but frankly from all your teammates yes, who sir. are experts or they wouldn't be here, mm -hmm. uh, but then also from seniors. Yes, sir. Right? Yep. Um, you know. Really, this is a place to get a PhD in war fighting. Yes, sir. Right? A lot of people are running out around out there with associate's degrees in war fighting, but this is a PhD in it. Yes, sir. What else? Um, and it's kind of like you said, like I, my peers are world class, right? Every single person in every war fighting function, I know when they say something, like it's the truth. Um, <laughs> and and like well, you're on a great team. And, and yeah, oh yes, sir. And and I'm like, I get to pick their brain on things and not feel dumb about it. I, I don't. I don't ever feel dumb about asking a question, but I feel very comfortable about asking very simple questions to my teammates and them giving me those those very educated answers back. And I'm able to better understand what they do so that I can better understand how I tie in with what they do. And when I go back out in the forest, I'm going to be that much more lethal.
Yeah, so I'm going to brag on you and your teammates. So you're on BC2 right now. Um, you know, the Bravo 3 left uh, to go be aide to uh, General Rainey. Mm -hmm. uh, Bravo 2 left, went to be an aide to General Beagle. Mm -hmm. uh, new Bravo uh, 5 is going to leave this summer, go to a joint assignment. Mm -hmm. Bravo 3 is going to do one more year and then uh, go over to a joint assignment. And then Bravo 5-0 is coming up to be uh, fill a lieutenant colonel position. She's mm -hmm. going to be chief of staff here, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of talent. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes, sir. And and all of you are, you know, God willing, future battalion commanders. Um, and, and, you know, my time on the Bronco team at the National Training Center, you know, it was amazing. Like, the version of you is getting ready to go take brigade command right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Re Reggie White. Yes, I mean, sir. A phenomenal field artillery officer and great officer. Um, but this is a place, I think, where you really learn about war fighting. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and leading large organizations. Um, you know, what about uh, you know Fort Polk? Soon to be, by the time maybe this comes out, it'll, it'll be Fort Johnson. Mm -hmm. well, you know, what about what about JRTC? Um, is it is it the the awful, terrible, no good, very bad place that Ray claims it is? <laughs> no, sir. Like if if you, I, I, what I will say is like if you have to have constant stimulation with big city life, right? It might be difficult for you, but not impossible. Right. Um, and, and this is my, I'm a repeat offender. Like, I, I love the Fort Polk area. Um, I, the things that you're able to do, like, if you, if you go out and find things, there's something around every corner, right? You can go down a random dirt road and find something exciting. <laughs> 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 I promise you. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you just got to, you just got to. Three gotta, and a half hours to New Orleans. Two hours to Shreveport, four hours to Baton Rouge. I'm, so, I'm sorry, yeah. Three hours to Baton Rouge, three hours to Houston. Like you're within driving five distance. Five hours to Dallas, yes, six hours to San Antonio. Mm -hmm. You're within driving distance right. of some big cities. Um, yeah, I think most people think that, you know, all, their experience here is the Florida box, mm -hmm. and that is not the rest of the JRTC. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, all right. And uh, any other final advice for folks that are thinking about uh, a life as an OCT? Don't think twice, just do it. Like, yeah. I don't regret my decision to come here at all. And I think I was just telling um, my counterpart this last rotation, because he was asking, like, what's it like being an OC? And I'm like, hey, man, like, I don't regret my decision to come here at all. Yeah, um, I liked it so much I asked to do it again. Exactly, sir. Okay. Um, hey, before we close out, uh, I'll let you have the final word at the end, but what questions do you have of me? You came in with a couple of questions. <laughs> Roger that, sir. Um, what do you like most about being the cog, sir? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's my ability to control the weather. Yeah. Um, as the cog, a lot of people don't know, you have control over the weather. So I enjoy, with 2-4 SBCC's rotation, I enjoyed giving them 10 out of 14 days of continuous rain. Yes, sir. Uh, that was my, my favorite. And obviously, because I like the Panthers, I didn't give them rain. <laughs> Roger that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I, um, I think it's, some, it's, it's along the lines of what you said. I mean, I think it's, um, I love teaching. And I love the relationships uh, that you get in a learning environment. And so, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's a CG sitting me down and coaching me, mm -hmm. you know, G G3, uh, Forcecom, Joel Malman sat me down and, and, you know, coached me for about an hour, uh, or whether it's I get to spend time sitting down with a company commander or field grade and coaching. I love this environment uh, that's focused on war fighting. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm, I spend 90% of my time talking, thinking about war fighting. Uh, but, but that engagement uh, up and down and laterally um, that's focused on just getting better. And so the sense of purpose that we have here all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we pull people into our orbit. You know, RTU comes here. Future battalion commanders, brigade commanders come here. And it's all focused on the same thing, which is just making our Army better. Uh, being so good um, that, God willing, we never have to fight a war. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I love that part of it. I love constantly learning and growing. And so I think that's my favorite part about the job and, and getting to be on that journey with people. Yes, sir. And my next question would be, um, you are the king of JRTC. However, if you were king for a day, <laughs> <laughs> king for the day in the Army and you can make overarching large changes with JRTC or a CTC, the CTCs in general, what change would that be? So I, I think first and foremost, like I think, you know, the secret recipe, we got it, right? I think most countries uh, would kill to have what we have. Um, you know, we, th this model does an exceptional job of preparing our army and, and, and not just units right right now but this generational change uh, that occurs and so I mean I think that that fundamentally what we do works right mm -hmm. like if the Russian army had JRTC they wouldn't have gotten their clocks cleaned outside of Kiev yes, sir. right because um, we fight that fight um, every single month we're ruthless with ourselves um, we, we put our units up against uh, you know a, a really tough enemy that doesn't pull any punches they do it in front of you know their senior leadership mm -hmm. and everybody just accepts that that's actually how we get better and i think there's an inherent humility to what we do yes, um, as an army here and um you know i think the challenges that we have going forward um is one to make the battlefield more transparent um, and, you know, we're getting a lot of help in doing that. I think, you know, the second is an acknowledgement that this is going to have to look different uh, over, over the coming years. Mm -hmm. you know, so we're already doing this, bringing in more division uh, play, uh, cab this rotation, Devardi uh, going forward. And, you know, I think, you know, the thing I would ask of our Army, and this isn't of leaders, this is of all of us, is like, People have to commit to this. I mean, this is, in many ways, the secret sauce that makes our non-commissioned officer corps better, that makes our officer corps better. And I think culturally, it makes us a really honest organization. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, what what I would ask of of kind of everybody is like, okay, you, everybody's got to chip in. Uh, to, this is a special thing we have here, and for this to work, people have to be a part of it. You mm -hmm. know, it's captains out there being like, okay. Maybe this isn't my first choice of location I'd want to live, mm -hmm. but that's an important mission, and I, I owe it to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's brigade commanders, battalion commanders being like, hey, listen, you're really good at this, and I would love for you to go you know, do this other thing, but the Army really needs you to do this, mm -hmm. and so I'm going to talk to you about why it's important in this mission. I think, I think just you know, keep supporting this mission and this team here. Yes, sir. All right, you get the final word. You know, what do you what do you want the interwebs to to know either you know about uh, fighting with fires uh, or uh, JRTC? Well, I, I, what I would say about fighting with fires is you know you gotta 
you got to actually make a detailed plan and you, got, you absolutely need to rehearse it. Um, fires and maneuver, you know, the synchronization of it is not something that is easy to do ad hoc. It can be done, but yeah. it's hard. We just don't throw it in a pot and hope it works out. Yes, sir. So, I mean, you have to simple plan, you know, well executed, violently executed, you know, excuse me, well rehearsed, violently executed, like is a must when it comes to synchronizing maneuver and fires. Yeah, one of the things, it's funny you say that, one of the things that's really stood out to me and, and, you know, the maneuverist out there listening is you really got to spend time with your fire supporters and understand the science and the homework that goes into having a supportable fires plan. Yes, sir. And I think um, I didn't appreciate that as a battalion commander. I grew in my appreciation as a brigade commander. Mm -hmm. And it's really, for me, it's come into even sharper focus here as the commander of operations group of that maneuverist really have to understand what it takes to have uh, an executable fires plan. Mm -hmm. um, and I think too often maneuverists impose uh, an aspirational fires plan mm -hmm. on our fire supporters. And so, you know, talk to your fire supporters, understand what goes into getting a plan that has a primary alternate shooter, mm -hmm. a primary alternate observer, and sensor to shooter through that entire thing digitally. Because if we can do that, we're going to be lethal. Absolutely, sir. All right. Hey, thanks for your time. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks, much. Thank you for joining us on The Crucible, the JRTC experience. The Joint Readiness Training Center is the premier crucible training experience. We prepare units to fight and win in the most complex environments against world-class opposing forces. We are America's leadership laboratory. Again, we'd like to thank our guests for participating. This podcast was created and produced by Mr. John Mabes. It was recorded and edited by Chief Thomas Rich and researched by First Lieutenant Anthony Cho. Intro vocals were done by Mr. Robert Chopper. Special thanks to Captain Jermaine Branch and Mr. Jeff England from Public Affairs. Be sure to like and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest warfighting TTPs learned through the crucible that is the Joint Readiness Training Center. Follow us by going to https colon forward slash forward slash linktr dot ee forward slash jrtc. We'd like to thank our partners at the Center for Army Lessons Learned of the Combined Arms Center, especially the JRTC Call Observations Detachment. Be sure to follow them on social media as well. Follow them at https colon forward slash forward slash www.army.mil forward slash C-A-L-L. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review us wherever you listen or watch your podcasts, and be sure to stay tuned for more in the near future. The Crucible, the JRTC Experience, is a product of the Joint Readiness Training Center.